Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. In today's episode, I talk with Tom Bugden, a software engineer turned cybersecurity recruiter. That's right, a recruiter. Now I know what you're thinking, but it turns out that not all recruiters are vampires. Tom drops some 411 on how recruiters really work, how you as a developer can better work with recruiters to land your next gig, how to improve your CV to stand out above the competition, and we finally find out why those lead developer roles are sometimes pitched to you with junior developer salaries. Now on to the show. Obviously, I've got a bunch of questions about recruiting and a bit of your background as a developer, but before we kind of get into that, um, so you've moved from the UK to Australia. What was that like? How do you like living out there? Uh, it was pretty pretty crazy, to be fair. I kind of just got offered the chance to, to come out here um, to do recruitment and kind of set up a team, um, which yeah, kind of got drawn in by the, the warmer weather, shall we say, and a few other bits and pieces. Um, and yeah, it's been pretty pretty good so far. Um, haven't had the chance to explore everything quite yet, but uh, hopefully we'll get to you soon. So you were a software developer before you became a recruiter. How how did that happen? Because I, I think, and this like I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think for a lot of software developers, recruiters they're more like the people that are always poking you in the back, trying to get you to do something that you don't want to. So kind of a bit of if you can give us a bit of a brief background about what you did as a software developer and then kind of how you decided to, or why you decided to transition into becoming a recruiter? Of course. So I was a, uh, a web developer. So like JavaScript, PHP and some SQL were probably the sort of the main bits that I did. Um, I kind of studied that through college and uni and then worked with like one of the local retailers and sort of where I lived and um, like do their sort of commerce website, all the kind of like back end stuff as well um, to kind of like work through for all of that. And then kind of expanded into like doing their sort of like their warehouse systems, their stock management um, um, sort of systems, I suppose. Um, did that for, for sort of a number of years alongside university, and then did that full time for a while after. Um, I suppose kind of like the reason I moved on was that just different directions, I suppose. Um, sort of like roadblocks were coming up. There was a little bit of politics going on. Um, which I kind of just wasn't interested in. I just wanted to code at the time, um, just get sort of like the projects done and stuff. Um, so I kind of split that different direction. It just wasn't somewhere I wanted to kind of keep going. Um, so I had like a look elsewhere. I had a few interviews in kind of like local companies, but nowhere kind of like really caught my eye as somewhere I was like, oh, I could you know, sort of really see myself working here. And um, like no... No, I kind of had that, like, that passion and that drive. There were just sort of companies who were just quite happy sort of just plodding along and just kind of like where they were, which just wasn't what I was looking at in my career at the time. I wanted somewhere that could kind of push me forward. Um, so I kind of thought, well, where else can I use my IT skills if there's nowhere sort of nearby that can sort of offer me that? And I kind of thought, well, I'm getting a few calls from recruiters, unsurprisingly. Um, whilst there were some good ones, there were also some pretty bad ones <laughs> as well um so i kind of thought oh surely you know there's a better way of doing this um that you know there's got to be um so i kind of thought well, why don't i sort of see what it's like from the other side become a recruiter and use my sort of knowledge of it to kind of see if i can you know do as good a job or make it a bit better um luckily someone gave me the opportunity to to do that and 
yeah, fast forward three and a half years later and now I'm here. <laughs> How long were you doing software development for before you, you made the transition? Um, so I did it full time for probably about for like three years uh, after uni. And so right now you are a recruiter for cybersecurity, is that right? Yeah. Uh, so I started out um, probably just covering like all development and all sort of IT from your DevOps to your testing to your cybersecurity. Um, so kind of covered all the bases. It's coming out to Australia. The opportunity was there to kind of build up the cybersecurity recruitment. It was something that they did a while back. It wasn't really the, the time. It wasn't kind of a big enough market. Um, but as you, as everyone probably has seen in the news recently with everything going on, hacks and breaches seem to be almost weekly or if not daily now. Um, so it's definitely a bigger area of sort of growth. Um, so it was that opportunity to, to come out here and be like, why don't you kind of be the cybersecurity team for, for our company kind of see how it goes and build it from there. So that was one of the sort of opportunities and what I've kind of specialized in since January. In terms of the UK versus Australia recruitment kind of process, how different is that or are they basically the same? Uh, they're very similar. Uh, I'd probably say the main difference is Australia is less saturated with recruitment agencies. Um, there's still, of course, like the big ones like your Hayes and your Randstad that kind of everyone knows. Um, but yeah, there's probably, probably fewer agencies, which actually probably makes it a bit of a better experience for both sort of client and candidate because you're not getting pestered by as many calls. There's not as many of us out here, but equally it's better for the, for the clients because they're not getting pestered as much, but also they kind of, you, you know your specialists more, I suppose. Like you can kind of stand out as a, oh, you guys do this or oh, you're the JavaScript specialist guy. I've heard of you. You know, you can kind of own it a little bit more. So when, when you got into this new role, was it what you expected? Obviously, I don't know how it works behind the scenes. I only know what I see. So from what I imagine the role is, and I imagine maybe you thought the same because you were also a software developer, was it what you thought it would be or was it different? Um, I'd say it was sort of recruitment as a whole. It's a, it's a bit different. Um, I suppose in my head, it was kind of, you know, a lot of companies just kind of approached you and you just kind of was just the middle man for want of a better phrase, just the sort of finding the two, but it's a lot more sort of like active in terms of like the relationship building, but also just kind of knowing your, your market. Um, because you could have a sort of a company that's got a massive team and everyone kind of knows of them, but they might only hire sort of one person a year. Um, and it's kind of knowing who's in the market at that time, who's going to be a good fit, because as I'm sure you can appreciate it's not just a case of, oh, you're a React developer, here's a React job, done. There's, there's far more to it um, than that. So it's, it's kind of that element, I suppose, is kind of what surprised me a lot of how much you have to do that to do it well and how easy it is sometimes just to get it wrong. You can maybe forget to ask one question and just because you're busy or it's like the end of the day or whatever. And that could be the, the difference between it being the right role for someone or not. And therefore the whole thing being viable or not really. Gotcha. Okay. So I guess leading on from that is I'll just give you my opinion, which is you go for a role, they put you forward for a role in my experience, all the recruits I've worked with, they don't care if I have the experience and want me to go forward for the role and hopefully, fingers crossed, I get it. And then not saying that that's what you do at all because that's the reason That's the reason I wanted to talk because you've got both sides, so it's super interesting. So they go in and they come back with an offer. And so, for example, I've had I've had a role where they I went to the interview, I wasn't interested, they came back with an offer, told the recruit I wasn't interested, and he was like, all right, let me speak to the client and find out if I can get you some more money. He hung up the phone, he rung me back immediately and in that time, he reckons that he spoke to the client and negotiated the money up 
So in my head, I'm thinking, right, well, firstly, I don't want the role. And secondly, no, you didn't because there was not enough time. Literally, you hung up and rang me back. So how does that process work in terms of does the client come to you and say, this is how much we want to pay? Or does the clients come to you and say, fire me people and then you negotiate afterwards? Because I guess a lot of uh, people that I spoke to as software developers, they kind of see recruiters as like, you know, some sort of, I don't know, vampire you know, they're going to give you a role, they're going to give you some money, but whatever you're making, they're making double. And I don't imagine that to be true, but also we have no insight. So your insight on that kind of whole process and the behind the scenes would be awesome. I mean, I wish I was making double. That'd be fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the way it kind of works is um, we kind of either approach companies or companies will approach us and depends kind of like, again, how well in the market you're sort of like known or if you've kind of worked with them before. You know, if managers speak with each other, they might go, oh, I know a guy who really knows his React JavaScript developers really well and stuff like that. Um, and then we kind of work with the client. We'd negotiate sort of how much it would cost them or if we've already worked with them, chances are that's probably all been sort of agreed. And then we would go out and find people who sort of match uh, that. And we try to obviously, of course, speak to the manager to go just beyond the job description because that's where... You know, sort of one of the reasons I wanted to, to become a recruiter was that I was getting phone. So my experience was PHP and JavaScript and some SQL as well. And um, that was kind of my my main two things that I could do. Admittedly, it was vanilla JavaScript. I didn't have any frameworks, but I was I was all right back in the day. Um, and I'd be getting phoned up going, oh, I've got a .NET role in Birmingham. And I'm just like, well, I'm doing PHP in Bristol. That's absolutely useless to me. It's like, oh, I can get you an interview tomorrow. Well, yeah, but I don't want it. Like, it doesn't match just because they've seen that maybe I did .NET during my degree or they've just looked for developer and have not actually dug into what I actually do, um, which is where sort of the, the better recruiters have probably got the better relationships and more understanding will have those conversations with you. Okay, I can see you've got let's say react javascript on your sort of resume i can see you've been using it for the last two years what kind of projects what do you want they should always be asking what kind of like motivates you and what do you want because yet again say a, a react developer role in a you know sort of an investment bank's going to be very different to a react developer in a digital agency even though it's the same tech at the end of the day so that's where they should be sort of you know, having those conversations with you finding out what motivates you what's going to be the kind of the ideal role for you and then kind of only aligning and sort of discussing roles with you that match that. And then hopefully when you go and interview and you kind of have those conversations with the client, rather than be like, you have, I'm not interested in the role. You know, hopefully those don't happen as, as anywhere near as often. Occasionally they still do, but hopefully they go in and you can kind of go, yeah, actually they're really good. I can see this is matching up or, or it's pretty close. So I might have a, the odd concern, but it's really well matched. And then because we've discussed your motivations and kind of what you're looking for, if the client does come back and say, oh, we would like to offer so-and-so and we want to do this, that, and the other, everything's kind of already been discussed and it should just be maybe the odd detail here and there rather than like you had there, I'll go back to them. Because if the recruiter had done their role properly, they should have known that you're not interested in just throwing more money at the problem is not going to solve it. They should have asked, you know, why aren't you interested? Is it the technology doesn't fit? Is it that the culture wasn't quite right for you? But then again, they should have maybe not even sent you to that role if that was kind of the feeling from the start. So fingers crossed, if it's all done properly, you should come out of the final interview thinking it's gone pretty well. It's pretty much matched most of the time. And it should just be whether 
based you were the sort of the stand that cannon bit or not is how it should hopefully get all the time anyway it's interesting to hear that kind of perspective because then we as developers can know from talking to someone on the phone yes this may be someone i want to work with or probably not because you know they're going to ring me up as an android developer and say hey i got a react native role when you messaged me earlier you mentioned about experience versus degrees so i remember there's there's like a running joke going in the software development community where if a technology is released today there'll be a spec sheet for a job tomorrow that says you need one year of experience in whatever technology was just released. Where does experience versus, uh, let's say, official qualifications sit right now? I think it strongly depends on sort of what stage of your career you're in. So I think if you're starting out, you know, fresh sort of like graduate or old junior, of course, the degree kind of helps that shows you've got the, the theory there. Um, but it's not the only way to do it. I think a great example... Um, is a sort of candidate I placed last year um, with, a, with a company. They asked me to find um, a .NET developer, um, specifically it was C Sharp. Um, I can't remember what framework it was off the top of my head. Um, but I sort of spoke to someone um, who was on the sort of on the market, and they didn't have like a degree, and they didn't have like any sort of official certifications. Um, but they did sort of show me their their GitHub account, and they looked like they really knew what they were kind of doing. So whilst they didn't have the the certs they did have the experience um, so i was able to actually discuss that with the manager going look on paper he's not got the certifications and that, that you're looking for but i've had a look at you know his code he's happy to share it with you i think he's quite good the manager had a look and they were like oh yeah we'll give him like a little exercise to see what he can do just to check that is you know he's he's up to it and a couple of days later he submitted it back and the manager came back and said he's actually beaten two of our senior developers on that exercise, despite the fact that he hasn't got the piece of paper to say he can, you know, they do. And he ended up getting the, the job there and he joined and I think he's probably still there actually. Um, because it was just one of those, he didn't have the certification or the qualification, but he, he had the knowledge behind him and he was able to demonstrate that. And I think that's something that a lot of sort of the tech companies are starting to come around to. It's not sort of an industry where just because you've got the qualification means you can do it or not. I think the technology's evolving too quickly and things are changing too swiftly to say, like for example, I've got a degree in, in computing, but I've not touched it for three years. I'd probably be awful if I went back to it now compared <laughs> to someone who maybe doesn't have the degree, but has been working on it for the last year or two. So it's all sort of dependent. It definitely sort of helps. I mean, if you're say going for more of a, like a cybersecurity role, some of the sort of certifications in like ethical hacking and stuff like show you, and things that you probably wouldn't learn anywhere else. And so they're quite useful um, for certain roles, especially at like the higher levels where consultancies or something maybe need people with a certain certification to as a part of the, the team or part of the project and requirements. But most of the time, if you're sort of experienced and can demonstrate that, it should be fine. What do you think candidates could do to try and stand out against others? So like you mentioned, that guy had experience in terms of you know he can prove his code and he's got a github account and so he's beaten senior developers so is there anything that you think people that are you know software developers can do to kind of stand out in the first place to kind of be headhunted and then also to stand out against other candidates of a similar level i think the best way to stand out is probably going to be sort of like listing your sort of expertise and your achievements and um, so what i mean by that is quite often you'll see a resume and we are i'm a software developer and it will kind of explain sort of what the project was or sort of the projects they've worked on and kind of the software. But they won't explain what they did or the technologies used. So you're like, well, I, I can tell. It looks like it's probably, I don't know, like a 
like a Java project, but I don't know what, like, have you used Spring or Hibernate? Have you used like TED or Agile methodologies? I can't tell from the resume. And that can be quite difficult because if I've just got, say, two sort of CVs in front of me and I just see one's explained that, oh, I, I did this particular module on this project in Java and Spring, which generated a 20% saving in blah, 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 compared to I coded on this particular project, whilst the developer could be identical and sort of in skill and ability and sort of how sort of well suited they are for the role, I'm going to naturally gravitate towards someone who's put sort of those tangibles and the technologies on their resume because AI can kind of visualize that more that, oh, they know more stuff, they probably are a better developer, but also it's easier to sell to the client who, of course, when the resume goes to, to them, they haven't spoken to you yet, they don't know anything beyond what's on that or what we tell them. Um, it's easier to kind of stand out from that point of view. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of the feel that I've, I've gotten before as well. Also, uh, just a random question, but how important is it that a candidate has on their CV that you know they're really hardworking and passionate about whatever it is they do because that that always gets to me when people send me CVs and it's got that on it and I'm like I don't care everybody says that and for some reason it's like it's become this thing that you have to put in your CV you know something about your character that may or may not be true. Yeah, I think it's just one of those those givens, and no one is ever going to put on their CV. Yeah, I'm a bit lazy. Exactly. And, you know, exactly. You could just not say it. Yeah, it's just one of those. I think people feel compelled to. That they have to put it on there or is the assumption that they are lazy when it's it's really not like the, the things i want to see on a cv is you know like i said what what have you done in projects how have you contributed how what technologies have you done because they're the bits that are probably going to be more unique to yourself um no, i appreciate you might put that on you know a team player or detail orientated and i can sort of appreciate that if it's kind of in context like you know i was working on this project where i had to be very detail oriented because it was I don't know, um, you know, working with the Department of Defense, so therefore because of the policies and stuff. If it's in context and explained like that, I can appreciate that they put that in there. If it's just like you said there, I'm hardworking, it can be a bit of, well, you've got to say that, but it doesn't make you stand out in any way. So then on that point, is there a way that us as software developers can better work with recruiters or better make use of recruiters even? Yeah, um, so I'd say the best way to do it is try and align yourself with sort of an expert in your in your market. Um, so for example, as an Android developer, someone who specializes in mobile recruitment is probably gonna be sort of more beneficial to yourself than a generalist, just because all of their roles as a mobile developer is gonna be in the mobile realm, so they've got a better chance of finding something more suited to you. Whereas a generalist is, you know, they might be doing mobile today, DevOps tomorrow, you know, testing on the Monday, like they're gonna have less time to dedicate to, to yourself in terms of like your specialism. Um, but I suppose also like having that sort of honest and open channel. Sometimes it can be, you know, sort of incredibly annoying when, you know, candidates don't sort of give you the whole sort of story um, or, you know, give you something very late in the game. Just an example, okay, have you got anything next week, you know, in terms of like interviews or anything that in case I, you know, get the response and they want to see you. I don't know, it's all clear, it's all good. Okay. Great, say an hour later, we've got some feedback. Can you do say Tuesday afternoon? Oh, no, I've got an interview then. Well, you told me that you're free and you're available. Um, but vice versa, you know, asking the recruiter, you know, what kind of roles have you got? Can you keep me in mind for this kind of thing? Um, you know, how's the market looking? So that back and forth and um, just kind of that conversation means that you're going to be in like, the forefront of the recruiter's mind as well. 
So when that new role does come up, they'll think, ah, you know, Rob's on the lookout. He's doing well. You know, he's sort of always in touch. He's quite communicative. I'm going to sort of come to him first. Um, as opposed to the person who doesn't really give anything and just kind of, you know, just doesn't have that sort of like conversational piece or the, that kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think so. I think a lot of uh, software developers and app developers specifically, we all kind of, we go from role to role. And then when we're done, we kind of just wait and just expect the phone to ring. Yeah. Also, um, it also stops at all the, I suppose like you said there, like they're constantly sort of the prodding calls. If you know sort of a couple of sort of specialists in the market and you give them the heads up of it, Oh, my contract's coming to an end in a few weeks, or I'm thinking of looking is there, you know, on the download, is there anything kind of coming up? Those guys can, you know, sort of help you by, you know, out. So rather than having to deal with sort of everyone calling you because you've kind of openly said you're looking, they can kind of give you the heads up. So as your contract's coming to an end, line up the next one, and you never kind of end up on the open market, as it were, and then getting hit by everyone. You're only kind of speaking with the people you know. Uh, like you know in, in your area so it kind of helps out from, from your point of view in that sense so something that you mentioned earlier that i just wanted to come back to which was in terms of software engineering things change all the time you know what was new yesterday is old tomorrow so how important is it that people keep up with the new technologies as they're coming out so for example android it was always java and then at some point kotlin started to come in a little bit and a little bit and now I think it's two or three years later. And if you don't know Kotlin, you're out for most Android roles because you need to know both. So from your perspective, how important is it that you keep up to date with the latest technologies and how quickly do those new technologies appear as a must have in, in people's recruitment lists? I'd say what you said there, like the sort of two or three years for, for Kotlin is actually quite a good sort of indicator. Because I remember when sort of Kotlin was just first kind of coming out and no one kind of really asked for it because it was just so new and everyone was a bit unsure. And then you hit the life cycle of a few companies, you know, think, we'll give it a go. Why not? Let's see if it's any good. They get good results out of it. Other people here, market starts picking up on that. And then all it takes is a couple of years and a few sort of cycles on the old agile sprint. And then suddenly, like you said, if you don't have that skill, it's really tough to find a position. I think it's kind of the same with like cloud. If you go back to about 10 years, cloud was sort of barely discussed, if anything. Nowadays, again, every developer role would also probably have on the spec have you worked with AWS or have you worked with Azure? Um, I think it's just one of those, because technology evolves so quickly just because of the potential it has. You have to stay up to date. Um, like there are companies I used to work with, they'd say, oh, we're looking for a Java developer, um, but if it's anything older than than eight, if it's seven or before, not interested because it's all changed too much. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those kind of industries where you've got to stay up to date and you've got to keep moving otherwise you're, you're moving backwards. Um, but I think that's where a lot of companies do realise that. I know a lot of companies now offer the benefits of you want to go for this course or you want to do these refreshes or we're going to give you X amount of time a week to kind of keep up to date. So I think some of the bigger companies realise that they need to keep people up to date and, and kind of give that to them. So I'd say it's quite important. So I guess moving on from that, this is a question that I've asked every guest so far who've all been developers including yourself what do you think separates a okay developer from a great developer it's probably kind of three areas that i'd say separates the sort of someone who's just okay at developing and someone who's great um the first one is going to be um sort of their ability to sort of communicate you can get some some good developers who really know their code but really struggle to articulate what they're doing um, and how they're kind of going about and sharing that with others um, which can be quite a struggle, especially in you know anywhere that's got kind of multiple developers. You need to work as a unit 
Um, and it can be quite frustrating when you've got someone who's clearly quite brilliant when it comes to coding and yet just can't share that with the group, whether from, it's a, from a learning perspective or just communicating how they've done it or it can be something just not commenting the code or coming up with something that's so out there and that it's, whilst it works really well, other people maybe don't quite get and they don't communicate that across. Um, so I say that's something that's quite a key area is just that communication. Even with some maybe sort of non-technical sort of stakeholders and projects and stuff, it can be quite difficult for someone who's not technical to understand if you just ream a load of sort of jargon off of them, what's going on. Whereas the ability to translate that into something that they can understand, like we've done X, Y, and Z module, rather than kind of reaming off to all the code you've done, it's much more tangible for them, sort of the progress. So I suppose that communication, that kind of leads quite nicely into the second piece, which is the leadership, like the ability to take ownership, to take responsibility, um, but also to kind of help more junior members, help other members of the team, and kind of sort of help the company out when they need that. So someone now can kind of take the technical aspect and really run with it. I suppose there's someone that's what separates themselves as just an okay developer to a great developer has been able to you know, put their hand up and own it really. I suppose those two are probably less on the actual development side than... Yeah, I wouldn't say so. That's been some people's answers and I definitely think communication is is severely underrated when it comes to being a good developer because like you said, if you, if you can code amazingly and you can code something that's so so complicated that nobody else can maintain it and then you also can't articulate on top of that what it actually does, then, you know, you may as well just not have done it in the first place. So kind of just wrapping up, but potentially a fun one. Have you had any, have you got any interesting stories or anything? So for example, I've heard from people where people have been approached to say, you know, can you find me the next lead developer for this role, but we're going to pay him essentially junior or less than junior developer money. And I, I always find that really interesting because I've been approached for roles like that before. And it's like, well, why, why would I do that? So do you, do you have any kind of interesting ask from clients or, or just any interesting stories like that? Yeah, it happens um, sort of a surprising amount. And I think one of the reasons for that is that a lot of companies, whereas you know, I'm a recruiter, I hire people day in, day out. I speak with the market. I have to keep up to date with everything that's going on. Whereas a lot of companies, it's a case of maybe they only hire once every six months and it's it's HR who deals with the salaries rather than the developers, so they don't really know sort of the market as well. Um, so quite often it'll be companies that kind of band their salaries that fall sort of short of this, where they'll go, oh, it's a, it's a junior role, therefore it's band free. Um, but realistically, the skills they're asking for are not junior. Um, a great example is cybersecurity. You know, you don't just a lot of people came from a network engineering background where they then went into the security side of things and they've become a sort of a cybersecurity engineer. And it's kind of the pathway for a lot of those guys. So not there's not many junior security engineers who would go for like a graduate salary because a lot of them have had to come from different backgrounds. So there are kind of companies that will call out where they go, oh, it's a, it's a junior role, it's a band free, we'll pay them 80,000. It's like, you'll be lucky if you get anything close to that so that's in dollars by the way um you know so as quite often that happens just due to the lack of knowledge but that's not anything to do with, with them that's just because they're caught in their bandings or it's just not a market they, they deal with very often so they don't know what it is and you may have the problem as well that oh our last developer was on say fifty thousand pounds we're looking for another one so we'll get fifty thousand but he needs to have aws experience now because we've moved to the cloud 
but oh, that experience might now suddenly add on an extra few thousand pounds worth of price tag because it's a harder skill to learn with less people out there. There's more that they have to do. So it's stuff like that where as sort of a consultant, you have to kind of let them know sort of what the market is and kind of what's going on. And I suppose one of the, the funny, funniest ones I've had is someone asked um, for a cold fusion developer. Um, and I was like, okay, it's quite a, quite a niche tech. Um, not many people do that. It's quite old. And they were like, oh, and so someone who's got like eight to 10 years should be fine then. Like, um, I mean, I can try it. I said, not many people use it anymore. Um, so there's going to be quite expensive. And they're like, oh, but at the other end of the scale, we've, um, we're looking for sort of an Angular developer and someone who's got Angular 5. And I was like, okay, um, how, sort of, what level are you kind of looking for? They're like, oh, someone quite senior, someone who's got like five to 10 years experience. And I was just like, Angular 5's not been out for five to 10 years. Um, but like, oh, but they will be working alongside the Cold Fusion devs, so they need to have the same level of experience. I was like, but, in, but no, like it's only been out, I think it was only out, out a year or two at that point. So it's just going to educate sort of people that because they're both senior developers doesn't mean the technology has been around long enough to, to actually be that senior. I mean, you could be senior, but it might only be like a year or two. You might be one of the best in the world. You only have a couple of years of new. Okay. All right. Well, it's good to hear that that you have similar experiences to what we experience on the other side, because stuff like that always cracks me up. Unless I'm trying to go for the role, and then it's super frustrating. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I guess yeah. Just a- any tips that you might have for software developers in terms of that whole recruitment getting hired process. Yeah. Um, so say in terms of like your resume, and um, you know, ensure that your sort of your achievements are highlighted like for a role, and that you're you know, exactly the kind of tools and sort of like languages and frameworks that you've used as there just so you can kind of really hone in on sort of what you are because it's something that often clients will ask for like oh we're looking for say a c-sharp developer but if they've got dotnet core that's a huge bonus and that would then be something that we'd search for on a resume knowing that ah this client's looking for dotnet core it's going to be easier to sell in the candidate who's got that but vice versa for yourselves it's more technology, which is matching with what you already do. So it's a bit easier. You can kind of align the roles to you because as much as we're finding people for our clients, we're finding you guys roles as well. It's a two-way street, just like an interview is a two-way street. And because there's no point in us placing you in a role, you hate it and two weeks in you leave because then we have to give a refund and we've wasted everyone's time and it, it's just rubbish for everyone. And we, we, we want to make sure it's right for everyone that you're there for, know if it's a contract as long as it lasts or if it's permanent hopefully for for many years um also the other tip i'll say is probably spell check your cv you'd be surprised how often people will misspell um not only like i suppose like the technical tools that they use it's quite worrying when people are misspelling the languages that they supposedly coding so it's a purple red flag <laughs> i bet it could be confusing as well because some of the sdks and technologies are just letters so you might be reading it thinking this is one i've not heard of before and they've just totally spelled it wrong and that's why google helps quite a bit when looking, looking at those <laughs> quite interesting i mean there's a few technologies i've only ever heard on from people cvs and i'm going what is that is, is that important like, probably some some niche niche technologies that you come across i imagine yeah there's a few out there that i've probably only ever come across once or twice but sometimes they're the one that you, a client will be like, oh, they've got that. Brilliant. We're looking at, we're looking into that or we've got that. And that's actually the one that swings it. So it's always worth having on there. 
So I guess the last question is, where can people find you? Um, and, you know, if you've got a recruitment agency that you want to shout out or just a- anywhere that you want me to direct people to um, after this episode? Um, well, to my, my LinkedIn would be great. Uh, if you've got any viewers down in Australia. Um, <laughs> I mean, in terms of sort of agencies, I suppose the two that I've worked with, um, I'm working at Novera at the moment and I work with uh, Opus back in the UK. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here today without those two. So, um, yeah, probably those guys. <laughs> Big thanks to today's guest, Tom Bugden. You can connect with him on LinkedIn and you can check out both his previous and current recruiting firms, Opus Recruitment Solutions in the UK and his current recruitment firm, Navero, in Sydney, Australia. As always, you can find everything we talked about in this episode in the show notes. If you like the show, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It's much appreciated. And if you really like the show, you can support it with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash buymecoffee. Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with like-minded developers, you can do so in our Facebook community. And finally, you can follow me on your favorite social media platform at lowcarbrob. You can find all the links to everything I've just said in the show notes or at coffeeencodingpod.com. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.